Pornhub. Pornhub. The Pornhub Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Pornhub Podcast. We are officially back from maternity leave. And by we, I mean me. I am back from maternity leave. I just had a baby and I'm ready to get back to talking to all these wonderful people and giving you these interviews. Um, So first up, we actually have an interview that I recorded at the height of my pregnancy. So it's kind of been a while and I've just been sitting on this interview in my computer because... As soon as I conducted the interview, like pretty much the next day, I just got like way too pregnant and way too hormonal to even do anything. (laughs) So I'm so glad that you finally get to hear this uh, because the interview is with one of my favorite fucking comics, Robin Tran. Um, She has specials on Hulu and Comedy Central. And I actually discovered her for myself um, during the pandemic. Uh, she just kind of popped up on my social media one day randomly and then like within a week it just felt like she was everywhere I looked every which way I turned she was there Um, aside from being one of the funniest people I've ever talked to Robin is unique in many ways Uh, she's a transgender woman who came out while she was already in the public eye she was already in the midst of a career in comedy. Um, And she also recently emerged from a lifelong depression. So needless to say, she has a really interesting and important outlook on life. And she's just one of those people I feel like I could talk to forever um, about anything. I just want her take on anything and everything. I left the interview kind of desperate to be her friend and with like a total crush. So I, I, I hope you enjoy this. Do you ever feel like yeah. whenever I'm watching like MMA, I'm always like, if they would just kiss once. <laughs> you know, I actually, it's funny. Like I was, you know, professional wrestling is becoming more like progressive over time, especially, you know, with like um, social issues. So I had this thought like, you know, it'd be really progressive is one day when two guys have been fighting for months now and they're fighting and fighting and they stop and then they can start making out in the ring and the crowd goes crazy. I have this dream of this happening and I would start crying like, oh my God, it's really, and, they can start, and then they start dating. You know, like, I think, I think we're like five years away from that because I mean, like whatever people are fighting, you, you think they're going to kiss, right? You know, like. They're so close. About, they're so close to kiss. And they've accidentally kissed before. Like, you know, you, like some of those UFC, like um, face-offs from the, you know, the weigh-ins, I think that they've kissed by accident because they, their faces get so close to each other. Uh, that's enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. I, I think that would be a great storyline, though, for like a wrestling thing. Like, if they really did start off as enemies and, and it's like, bro, the reason I hated you is because I'm in love with you. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm thinking. Because it's like, because like the, there's these two wrestlers that have been feeding for years now. I'm like, you guys kind of want to make out, right? Like, <laughs> There's got to be like, you guys have done everything else. You fought, you know, you're, you got to get that. <laughs> like there is something about you that, you know, <laughs> drives you to each other. That might just be me, my, my own brain fantasizing about. Yeah. Like, um, are we describing a porno or? <laughs> you know, that's wrestling is a lot like porn. I didn't get a chance to elaborate, but yeah, there's a lot of like protecting each other. And so, I mean, wrestling is like super 
like I never realized how kind of gay it was until recently. Like they, they do these moves and they kind of like, they kind of slither away and they have like glistening bodies and stuff. And like their crotches are always in each other's faces. Are you guys getting horny? Or is this- <laughs> do, um, like, do you feel like, I mean, to me, like when I think of wrestling, I, I'm not in that world at all, but like when I think of like the typical wrestling fan i think of like a dude that drinks beer from the midwest and like a very like heteronormative straight dude that was what it was for most of of professional it's you know it's funny like you know wrestling used to be like that what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and it used to be like oh the south loves wrestling the racist people love wrestling Mm -hmm. and stuff and um if you like watch 90s wrestling like the fans are brutal they're scary looking they're like yelling and you know it made for like a a more dangerous product but in the past like i think 10 years or so it's turned into like more comic book fans like the nerd the nerds are taking over professional wrestling and like they're doing things now that you would never see like 20 years ago like someone would climb on top of a cage and now the fans chant please don't die you know like just like 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 uh, 20 years ago it'll be like yeah throw him off the fucking cage cut his head off you know but now now it's like very so- like it's softer which you know it has its ups and downs but do you, um, do you think is there like a queer following of wrestling specifically because oh oh yeah absolutely okay. yeah like there's like fan fiction with some of the wrestlers like uh oh these two like you know uh, erotic gay fan fiction about a lot of the wrestlers. I mean, like, like there's a literally just the scenario you told us like two minutes ago was fan yeah, fiction. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I've outed myself as someone who writes gay wrestling fan. Actually, I just started today, right now. <laughs> like, you know, this podcast has made me open <laughs> new avenue. For me. Your your second career. <laughs> <laughs> I know that would have been perfect, like Tumblr material. Actually, you know, I wanted to ask you that. Like, so you are someone. I see you. You have embraced like pretty much every social media platform. I think. Like, I see you posting things that you've posted on TikTok, on Instagram, and then I go to your Twitter, and then it's like your Instagram stuff is on. Like, it's you're on all Mm -hmm. of them. The only one I'm not on, like, I'm. I have a. I have a clubhouse, but I don't know how to use it yet. So that's going to be my next one. I've always embraced the social media aspect of, of stand-up comedy, you know, like, cause I, when I first started in 2012 and I was kind of going out and perform doing open mics and stuff and I, you know, perform for like eight people or nine people. And then like you, you would do another set and for like five people or six people and all my friends would, you know, grind, right. Grind it out, perform for all. And, but in my brain, I'm like, I think this is an antiquated way of doing comedy. I'm just going to record every set I have. And then I'm going to like, if one of my sets that I record goes viral on the internet, mm-hmm then that more people will see that one set than you know performing the five people for a whole is yeah, that, for five for a month is yeah that's so hard i i'm i'm constantly like i feel like every time i talk to a comic i end up like thinking about feature dancing which is when like a porn star will tour strip clubs and basically like our schedule is very much like yours like we're in a hotel all day long doing nothing and then we get picked up at right. like 10 p.m to do a few sets yeah. and then we you right. know are driven back and we like travel the country for this but like for me, like stripping for five, 10 people is very hard. Like it's yeah, like mm-hmm. it's a blow to the ego. A lot of times they're not even there to see you. They just happen to right, be there right. and like they're yeah. not trying to get into it. Like it's very hard. Is it the same yeah. for comedy? It's 
it's it's similar, you know, in let like, you know, maybe a stripper for like I don't want to see your body part and for a comic it's like I don't want to hear about your body part. Like they're <laughs> they're trying to eat and I just come out talking about my dick and they don't even know that there is a comedy show. You just ambush them this crowd with your comedy. I'm actually really glad I'm actually really glad you asked me this question because I've I've been thinking about this for like decades. So I got addicted to the internet in like nineteen ninety nine. Wow. A pioneer. I got addicted, I got addicted to it. well because I was like, you know, I'm and a huge introvert and I'm nervous and that, you know, I never really knew how to talk to girls in real life. So I was really big on AIM yeah. and, and, and I would write on Zanga and live journal and everything. And I'm like, I want someone to like read my stuff one day. So I would just post things like, and no one would read them for like a decade. Like no one read anything I wrote because you know, I'm not a celebrity. And then, you know, when stand up comedy started and I started seeing the writing on the, like, I'm like, man, technology is getting really like, it's picking up a lot. And, you know, Twitter's getting big and Facebook's getting big. And everyone thought I was being lazy, like, because I wasn't, I was not touring. I was not grinding. I wasn't going on the road. And and I'm like, I'm doing work behind the scenes that you guys aren't doing. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, they, they gaslighted me to thinking I was lazy. But for me, I was like, why aren't you guys recording your sets? Why aren't you, why don't you have a social media Holy presence? Shit, so why do you, you feel so vindicated now that that's, yes, like, yes, the primary yes, yes. form mm-hmm. of comedy? It is very, yes. And I feel uh, like, uh, you know, when the pandemic started, I I had actually in February, a month before quarantine happened, I was going to, I was starting to learn how to make memes and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, I kind of like making memes. And I know that sounds ridiculous, like, but it, like, I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do like live stand up very much because I actually don't even like, I hate the lifestyle. Yeah. I'm a huge introvert. I'm agoraphobic. I am a germaphobe. Um, it's also dangerous to travel when you're transgender you know and like people are you know you never know what's the city do they give you like when you're touring like do they give you a roadie i've never toured okay so this is this is so this is the funny thing is that like they say that you're not a real comic unless you're touring and so that's kind of a gate you know i I think it's a male ego Mm -hmm. thing it's like they don't think that you're actually a comedian unless you're like living in your car and you're homeless and you're like things that have nothing to do with the actual stand-up set they they glorify this tragic lifestyle of like performing in dingy you know they're, they're suffering for their art and i'm like well none of that has helped your material i mean i hear you know? that constantly <laughs> like i hear so many you know i listen to like a lot of comic podcasts and stuff and like they're always talking about how you need to put 10 years in of stand-up before you can even yeah. be considered like a comedian yeah well i mean i'm I, you know i decided to just do it my own way. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is going to be a roundabout. I mean, this is going to be kind of a long answer, but uh, I was, you know, depressed for 25 years of my mm-hmm. life. And then I got on the right medication in October of 2019. I got on the right medication and my depression has been gone for a, a year and a half. So, you know, I was doing things like I was, I'd gone Comedy Central and my brain was not present or I would do a roast battle and my brain was not present. Hulu, my brain is not present. Like I'm not happy, even though I'm performing for all these people and my, my, my dreams are coming true. And then when I got medicated, open mics started being more fun. Like I started having more fun performing for a couple people than I was performing for like thousands of people. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so I have a different perception of comedy now. I think um, comedy is just like, it, it could be anything. It could be memes, videos, Live stand up. I think there's a myopic way of looking. I, I sorry, I forgot your question. I'm like kind of no, going it's off. fine. This um, is super interesting. Um, but um, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. Well, actually, but. you brought up something I really, really wanted to ask you about. Is like you talk about your depression a lot, and you're yeah. super open about it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and I noticed that like a lot of people in comedy do seem depressed. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or like to be from like really like tragic backgrounds or like they have some sort of struggle in their life, it seems like, which is not yeah. dissimilar to porn. Um, right. But I'm wondering, like, do you think it's possible to be a comic, a good comic, if you've had like an easy peasy life, um, perfect mental health, no yeah. obstacles? So I think, well, I think there is a, um, there is kind of this misconception that you have to be depressed to be funny. And I have found the complete opposite to be true. I, I feel like, so depression may have led me to stand up, mm-hmm. but when I was super depressed, I was not funny. I, I couldn't write new jokes for a year. And all I would do is talk about my depression on stage. And it would be like, I suck and I'm sad and I'm depressed. And, you know, like you do that for constantly, you're talking about one subject yeah. constantly. And then so when I stopped being depressed, like basically I went from like not writing any new jokes for two years to like, I've been writing a new joke. I've been writing new jokes every day for like a year and a half. Right. I've written thousands of jokes, and um, but like, do I think that if you have an easy life, you can be funny? Yeah, I think anyone could be funny. Um, I think that you are more likely to want to make people laugh if you've had a harder life. Okay, but I think that I think once you're in it, I think taking care of your mental health is more important. You know, when I started really liking comedy, is when I when I started making it my fourth priority instead of my first priority. Like stand up comedy used to be like, oh, it's my number one priority in life. But then it was like, then like if something bad happened, then I would be all depressed afterwards. Mm. So, you know, like the thing I said about like uh, on, you know, our Instagram live was like you lower the standards, mm-hmm. right? So now now it's like my first priority is my mental health and then it's my relationship with my girlfriend and then it's like friends and family. Not my family because I hate them, but <laughs> my friends. <laughs> Chosen family. I you have to see friends and family because people like it. And then it's stand-up is like number four. And, if you, and I feel like now that I have like a life that I love, it's like it's – it's um stand-up is just a part of it it's not my entire that life feels anymore. so like the opposite of what you hear all the time is like especially with like a dream career or a goal in entertainment like people are always talking about how that's got to be like the number one thing sacrifice anything for that yeah i think it's an old mentality mm-hmm. i think it's a lot of um i mean it's like a very capitalistic mindset right mm-hmm. like you 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 sell more when you tell people to grind and keep doing mm-hmm. it and buy more shit and like perform or get out get out there more you know it's like you're not really going to sell a lot if you're like oh you know take it easy on yourself don't <laughs> be kind don't, to like, yourself be kind to yourself and stuff you know like i i kind of hate that the whole like i feel like i've gotten the worst advice <laughs> from like guys like <laughs> Um, oh, in, you know, in, you know what? Com- in regards to comedy, in, 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 well, yeah, in co- well, in life, but yeah, I was talking about comedy in this case. But okay, so you know, like, okay, I think this is what I was going to say earlier. Like, um, you know, when we did the Pornhub mm-hmm. uh, Instagram, that got me more fans than anything else I've ever done. Really? Like, it got me three thousand new or two thousand new followers on Instagram. I hit ten. I hit over ten thousand, which is a big milestone for me. And there's no one in comedy that was like. You know, if you do a Pornhub Instagram, then you'll be a bigger comedian. <laughs> like what what they they tell you, it's like there's a stand up comedy cult, right? And it's like you grind, you go on tour, you get a podcast, you try to get on Conan or Letter, whatever. You know, like um, and none of that ever really worked for me. I, I had to like build a life where it's conducive to my mental health, mm-hmm. which is I have bipolar. Um, it's under control now, but like I had to just like uh make it so that I can do comedy as little as possible while reaching the most people as possible. So my internet uh, addiction kind of came in handy for that. You know what I mean? Like, 
So, um, well, that's what I wanted to ask you is like, you're on all these like different platforms and you seem like you're really killing it. And I I actually discovered you during the pandemic. Like, so Mm -hmm. do you, or or I think I had maybe heard of you, but like what what really caught my attention was like during the pandemic, you were just putting out an insane amount of content on the internet. Yeah. And -hmm. it was like, just like everywhere I looked, it was there. And then, so like, is that so you're saying it's not just me like is that like how things really happen for you like have you have you grown immensely career-wise since the pandemic mm-hmm. yeah actually it's it's uh, i've gotten more during the pandemic than the other eight and a half eight years of doing comedy which is crazy because like it, you did comedy central you did hulu like it's mm-hmm, i did yeah but okay so like the pandemic starts quarantine starts it was like what march the 14th mm-hmm. or whatever and uh i think it might have been march 16th um and I was like, oh my God, everyone's going to be home now. So I can start shooting my shot on Twitter because all the celebrities aren't touring anymore. So I'm going to put together a roast battle compilation. I'm going to tag Pat Oswald in it. He's probably home. He's probably going to see this. <laughs> Wait, and, and, and was if that he re- and if randomly he- you chose him? Like you're just a big uh, fan of him or? Well, yeah, I, I did a joke about him on a roast battle. So it was like, okay, so I can tag him in this in this joke I did. And he likes roast battle. So hopefully he'll see it. I didn't think he was going to retweet mm-hmm. it. You know, I didn't think he was going to retweet it and we would kind of be more friendly on Twitter. But I did I did have this vision in my brain that I have a bigger audience now because I kill it when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And a lot of comics don't kill it when they're mm-hmm. at home. A lot of comics, they have to go outside. They need the crowd and they need um, the, you know, the, the communities are really good at networking and crowd work. And like, I'm not as good with that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I was like, I can't wait till the world can see what I can do so you're, when I'm at home. You're kind of like the cam girl or like the OnlyFans girl yes. of comedy. <laughs> yes, and that's exactly what I am. Yeah. And I and uh, and my goal, I remember thinking, like, I'm going to become famous during this pandemic. That was my goal. Like, it's like everyone's going to be at home. So just put everything out there. I have I still don't have. Uh, I still haven't put up everything that I've done. Mm-hmm. I, I told you, I have like five years of open mic sets of just audio. Mm-hmm. And now I know how to, I le- I taught myself how to use iMovie. And like, I, I've taught myself how to make my own videos. Mm-hmm. And just like, um, people are desperate for like a laugh. Mm-hmm. And I think, because, and I think a lot of people are traumatized by the pandemic. And I'm like fortunate enough to like not be traumatized by the pandemic because like I lived a life where I was always at home anyway. And my, my mom didn't let us go outside and, so uh, I do feel like I got – I personally got lucky. Um, I kind of – I want the pandemic to end because, like, there's so much death and destruction and my friends are really depressed and everything. So I want it for them. But, like, I'm not going to do as well when the world opens back up. I'm mm-hmm. just, I just know people are going to be outside more. They're not going to be home on a Friday night where I'm but posting on Twitter like and stuff. But you feel like this has all, like, kind of changed the face of comedy forever? I do think – I do think that, but I do think that people are also desperate for comedy. I, I have no idea what it's going to look like. I think I do know that. Yeah, I guess none of us know. More though. Yeah, I, I do feel like comedians should be more creative with how they're creative. Like I, I think about porn, and I think the face of porn has changed forever due to this pandemic. Like I don't think that oh, we're yeah? going back to mainstream studio porn being like the mainstream. I think I think platforms like Pornhub, OnlyFans, like many vids, clips for sale. I think like that's going to be. I don't know, like, especially because for, like, performers, like, porn stars, like, we, like, there's so much more power in our hands now that we're not shooting for major studios. Right, yeah, that's how I feel about myself, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, do you, like, you really feel like that you're not going to do as well when the world opens back up? I think think I'll do pretty well. 
but I mean, I just, I think I just do better when everyone's at home, you know, cause I just, I just, I just have a bigger audience. But you also know? because you have um, a bigger following now, like obviously, obviously like in my eyes, when all this ends, like, I think clubs are going to come knocking. I don't know how it works, but I, I would imagine yeah. like clubs are going to come knocking. They're going to want you to headline shows and stuff. Like, yeah. Are you going to, are you going to do it or? Yeah, I think so. You know, it's funny. Like I say all this, um, but like, it, I, you know, it's funny. I got a healthy brain for the first time in my life in October of 2019. Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic starts in March of 2020. So I was really only given five months. You haven't to really been out in the like, real world yet. <laughs> yeah, I've been, yeah it, but it's, you know, for those five months, uh, I started taking more walks. Mm-hmm. I started talking to strangers. Mm-hmm. Like I go to the store, I talk, I talk to strangers. So there's all these things I say about myself that I just kind of say instinctively, but I don't even know if they're true anymore. I'm in therapy right now, you know, and she says that I don't have an accurate self-assessment. I'm still looking at myself from the way when I was still depressed, you know? And so like, I would say things like, I'm very shy and I'm introverted, but it's like, when's the last time I was shy and introverted? Right. When's the last time, when's the last time I, you know, like I, I, I was for most of my life, but I'm not anymore. So I do, I do have this feeling like maybe I'm ready to go on tour. I don't think I was ever ready before, like mentally ready. Like I would get, I used to lay down in bed in the middle of the day at like 3 p.m. I'd lay down for an hour or two, like every single day of my life. Even when I would had a job, I would go to my car and I would take a nap. Mm -hmm. Like my body was always so tired from being depressed. And I didn't know that that's like a sign of depression. I think people don't realize like how physical depression is. Physical. Physical. so hard to do anything. Yeah. So I had no stamina and it only stopped two months ago. Mm -hmm. So even when I was mentally healthy, I still had to like lay down in bed in the middle of the day. And I don't do that at all anymore. That's actually like one of the biggest accomplishments of my life. It's actually like as big as like Hulu or Comedy Central. It's a very quiet accomplishment though, you know, Mm -hmm. like I, um, and so like the prospect of a tour now does not scare me, Mm -hmm. which is huge. And, and, but I do want to limit the shows I do. I, I've never liked the grind of it. Mm -hmm. I, I like it when it's like, um, whenever, yeah, whenever I go on stage, I want this to be like I need to say these things into a microphone and people need to hear it, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I if I do go on stage, I'd rather it be a tour for people that know who I am already. I don't really want to fight for the attention anymore. I go to a bar and like they don't know who I am. I, I just I think I'm done with, with all that. Yeah. Um I mean, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's like to me it's that's exactly what I was talking about earlier with the the feature dancing. Like that's the hard part. Because it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. the fighting for the approval or just performing for a bunch of people that don't even want you to perform kind of thing. Like, that's yeah. hard. I've, I've been very strategic about, uh, you know, like I said, like minimizing performance while maximizing view. Like, so when Roast Battle started, you know, in 2015, like, I've always wanted to roast people. Like, I like, kind of grew up on roasting. <laughs> I love, I grew up, like, I love. You sound like a great roast. person. <laughs> I do. I'm, a, I'm the best person ever. Uh, but, but, you know, Roast Battle started. And, you know, they have these celebrity judges. So I just figured like, you know, if, since I don't, since I don't have the stamina and the mental ability to kind of grind and go out a bunch, I figured if I can just kill it like once every two months on roast battle, and that's all I did, then Comedy Central would see me mm-hmm. or like a celebrity would see me. So yeah, I would, I'm, I've been very strategic about my performances. So, okay. So when I first got on my medication in October of 2019, um, there was a two month period where I was manic for the first time in my life. I've never been manic before and I didn't know it was mania. So I went from Does performing. Does that feel like, amazing by the way? It was the most amazing feeling of my life, but it was like damaging. It's like the it best really high, bad. right? I mean, I, I've never it experienced was, it. The best, 
it's it's the best high. It's funny, like I said, uh, oh man, Mania feels really great. And my girlfriend joked around and said, yeah, yeah, we all love it. As, like sarcastically, like <laughs> my friends tell me, and, like I thought I was God. Like it was is crazy, it like, right? Does so, it feel like, I mean, do you do drugs or have you done drugs? Like, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done um, mushrooms and stuff. Is it like and, doing like an upper? Yeah, it's it just felt like I was, like there was, life was like a rush. Like I was in a speeding car for like two months. Um, but I also wasn't sleeping, so that was bad. It's kind of why I had to like kind of tone down. So why so why during, is mania considered bad? Is it because you oh, do reckless you, things? You, recklessness, lack of sleep, you lose your mind. You're irritable. You yell at people. You have a delusions of grandeur. Like I had the worst set I've ever had. Like it, not ever had, but like I've had the I had the worst set I had in like the past five years, and I thought I did well. Like that's kind of <laughs> like your brain. You just think that you're the, and that's that's the way. Yeah, it felt great. Like <laughs> bombing feels good, and that's not always a good thing when bombing feels good, you know. Wait. <laughs> like, my girlfriend was in the. My girlfriend. My girlfriend was in the audience, so I'm performing, and and I, and I'm and I'm yelling at the crowd for not laughing. Like I, I'm mad at them because they don't appreciate the greatness that they are seeing in front of them, and I'm lashing out. So after after the set, and then you're you know, like, I'm I do it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, I'm like, uh, my girlfriend goes, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, what's what's wrong? She goes, like, you should listen back to your set. And I'm like, oh, and I like listened back for like 10 seconds. And I was just like, you people are lucky to see me. And I just like didn't even really remember I said that stuff. Do you, I was just so like. Do you think Trump's manic? I, or is it something I else? Think he hit, I think he's probably got like narcissistic. Personality, personality disorder. disorder. Yeah. But you know, it's funny. So this is more vindication. So like during this time um, for like two weeks. I would do like three open mics a day. So I went from performing three times a month and I did 21 sets in 10 days. Cause I was like, okay, let me do this grinding thing now. Cause everyone's telling me to grind and my comedy got worse. <gasps> so all the, all the advice that they gave me, I did it. Finally, my comic comedy got worse because if you're performing that much, then whatever you're saying is just garbage. It doesn't really mean anything because mm. it's not, it's not special. You don't have this, the, the impulse to say something like every time I'm on stage with a microphone, what do I want to say in front of these people that will change their mind or their life? You know, of course, make them laugh, but I want to say some shit, mm -hmm. you know? And so like when I was doing all those sets, I was like, yeah, this is just kind of like what you're supposed to do, I guess. And I like didn't give a shit really. And, you know, and but, yeah, my and you're happy anyway, like, like feeling amazing. Yeah. So, yeah so, so who gives a shit whether they laugh or not? And yeah, I, uh, my comedy got really, um, really bad for a while and that's a yeah, great then, girlfriend that like she would tell you that though <laughs> yeah well she she looks like she out for me you, yeah and she, she's yeah. And what happens after the main like do you is it like the classic come down of like you're so yes. so so depressed no 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 actually you know what i remember the day um my my friend tom you know we were on our way to an open mic um and i was just going i, I guess i was being erratic and, and he and my friend keith were like Hey, Robin, have you talked to your psychiatrist recently about about mania? And I'm like, what do you what do you mean? And there's like, well, your 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 thinking is very circular. You're repeating yourself a lot. You're talking really fast. Oh, and those That's are signs. You're talking really fast, and and uh, you're not making any sense, really. And so I, you know, I emailed my psychiatrist because they, you know, they told me I should. And uh, yeah, she readjusted my medications. And I was like really upset. I was like, man, why can't people like let me be happy? I'm finally happy. So the first day of my mania kind of went away. I remember I was like laying in bed and I was feeling a little down because I was laying down and I was like, oh, if I'm feeling down, I should get up and do the dishes and feel, I'm like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be. I shouldn't be waking up every day going like, yeah, life, like that's like a bad, you know, like it sounds great, but 
you cannot sustain a life that way. Mm-hmm. You, you'll drive everybody away. And so I was like, oh, I, you know what? I am comfortable being a little sad sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's kind of what was so thrilling to me about the mania going away was to be able to feel all the emotions and not be scared of any of them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think I'm always a little hypomanic now. Okay. I think that's kind of that's kind of my personality, which is like um, my like I thought about it the other day, like how strong my depression must have been. Like my depression was so strong that it suppressed my real personality of being a hypomanic person. Right. I always thought that I was like when I you know people said I have bipolar too, and doctors say you have bipolar too. I'm like, are you sure you, I don't just have depression? Because like I don't really get hypomanic, and then like now every appointment with my psychiatrist, none of it is about depression anymore. The depression is completely gone. It's been it's like it's vanished, and wow. now every appointment is now every appointment is about have you gotten enough sleep? Are you drinking too much coffee? Are you doing this and that? And uh, yeah, and it was really just the meds. That. Yep, it was. You know, I, I think a lot of people don't want to hear this, but. 90% of why I'm better is because I found the right pill. Why would people want to hear that though? Because, you know, I think they want to believe that it's like a 50 50 therapy. What? They want to hear that it's like therapy and exercise and fresh air and yeah, sunlight? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think it's too, like, I, we still have a very anti medication sure. society. You know, like, I think we're, we're more okay now with talk therapy. Mm-hmm. But man, people, when you talk about pills, like they, they get all like, they get kind of skittish and, and scared and everything. I got kind of lucky that my mom has bipolar. So she's been medicated since like mm-hmm. 1997 and it, it completely changed her life. So she actually does something that people might seem like this is weird, but every now and then she'll call me and she'll go like, are you still on your medication? And I'm like, yeah. And she goes, don't stop taking it. You're still sick. Just even if um, you're taking medication, you're still sick. So keep taking it. Because isn't that a thing? And like, I feel like I, you know, I'm from New York. So like literally like 75% of people I know are on antidepressant meds. But like, it, yeah. that's totally a thing. I feel like that people periodically go off their meds. Yeah. They, they don't want the stigma of being like a sick person on medication. So my, my mom is actually the one that destigmatized it for me. By saying, "Hey, you're still you're still sick." It's not like a judgment. Yeah. She says it non-judgmentally. It's like you're, you're telling someone, "Hey, don't forget to bring your inhaler. Don't don't like yeah, don't be like you know what I have asthma, but I think I could beat it with my without my inhaler." Like, no, there's no shame in having asthma. Yeah. Just bring your inhaler. I kind of feel like that's kind of medication for me, and um, I guess it doesn't mean that there's like not- most most or not most medications, but a lot of medications like like for illness that's not like chronic. We take it for a while and then we stop. So I guess like yeah. mentality is. My mom has been on the same medication for 24 years. She's not been depressed since. She used to be a different person when I was younger. Mm-hmm. But but also like, you know, I'm not going to say medication is like the so maybe something that doesn't work as well for some people. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, I should mm-hmm. say this is my own personal experience. Right, but right, right. Bad medication also messed me up worse than anything right. else either. So so I think you should be careful. Yeah. But but it just because you found like um one that messed you up doesn't mean that every single medication is going to mess you up. Right. Well, I'm glad you found the right like that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. Like yeah. Nothing feels better than when depression lifts. Like nothing. It's, it's yeah. I, I, I've told people like it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's better than coming out, falling in love, doing stand up comedy. It's just finding the right medication that my life went from like black and white to color, like Wizard of Oz. Like it just, it's not even, I, I don't, I'm in therapy right now because I have 25 years of memories of depression. Mm hmm. And, and I re- and I don't feel it anymore, but I remember how it feels. Of course. So I'll just kind of be, uh, so I'll just be like listening to a song, and I'll be like, "Oh man, I remember when I was in my car and I wanted to kill myself listening to the song." And so those flashes come back. I have a bit of PTSD yeah. as well. My psychiatrist says, um, "But yeah, so it like it lifting was was uh, I remember just waking up one day and just like 
oh my god, I kind of I want to go to the store. I want to go take on a walk. I want to go downtown, eat some fries, and write some jokes. And I was like, I haven't wanted anything since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't wanted anything. I just, it's more like I've been existing because other people would be sad if I killed myself. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like what you're surviving. I'm just surviving. I'm just existing. I'm not really living. So that's great. And it sounds like so. It's it sounds like if if that was a year and a half ago, like everything just kind of the timing for you, everything came together at the same time. Like yeah, what, isn't that great? The world, the, <laughs> like the style of comedy, the depression yeah. stuff. Like it's you know, it's funny. I had this kind of joke. It's like um, I feel like the pandemic is my fault. You know, like I, <laughs> my, my 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 therapist asked me like two years ago, what would you want out of life? Like what would make you happy? I'm like, man. I want it so that my girlfriend never has to leave the house and my friends have to be home all the time and they have to be on the internet and like people just didn't have to work anymore. I feel like I, I feel like my wish came, I wished on a monkey's paw. Like I was like, you know, I'm sorry universe for what I did. <laughs> this is, this pandemic is all it's my all fault. It's all your you know? fault. It is. Everything is my fault. <laughs> well, I, I mean, <laughs> no, that's, that's probably a delusion of grandeur, right? Yeah, I have I have a lot of that. You know, it's funny. I have, sometimes I have these like these delusions of grandeur, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm like, Robin, you're not famous yet. Like, I have to remind myself. Like, I think, no, I mean, I'm not like so, you know. When I have delusions of grandeur, I think like Joe Biden is going to read my tweet. Like that's like <laughs> you know, like I, like I like I mean, like it's 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 too much sometimes. Like I think I'm a little famous, but not quite. You know, so it's like I don't want to downplay myself too much because you have to kind of know your reach because I think it's the responsible thing to know. Yeah, but. But no, I mean, like when I have delusions, I have to like get off the internet because like I, I get hypomanic and I just start tweeting at like politicians and stuff thinking that they'll know who I am. <laughs> and I, I think I think that every person in the world knows who I am sometimes. It's like, that's ridiculous. I don't even have 10,000 Twitter followers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I have to keep it under control. Yeah, keep yourself in check. Well, yeah, it sounds like your girlfriend does that too. So. She does. She's, she's very good at keeping what me in check. What does your girlfriend – like can you, can you say? Like what does she do for a living? Well, she, well it's, you know, it's funny. She – uh, yeah, she is actually she's a comedian too. Um, but she she's had to like kind of work full time to support both of mm-hmm. us. Um, but she also does comedy. She's actually a, an editor, like a story editor. Oh, okay. So it's so it's actually uh, her job to point out people's flaws, mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> so she's so she so she so she no, but no, but I need that. Yeah, because because I have a tendency to like the second I get something, my brain does go like, I'm awesome. And you know, it's good to have that, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to be confident, but then I go to the next level where I'm, I become arrogant. I think mm-hmm. I like confidence, but then the arrogance gets to be like, I start, and I start beca- like having a chip on my shoulder sometimes yeah. for no reason. I start going like, why don't I get the respect I deserve? You know, I don't. And then like people kind of go, what respect you deserve? What are you talking? Like you've been on Comedy Central and Netflix and Hulu, and you you even did Pornhub. You get shout outs. Like what more do you want, Robin? And I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I'm just kind of I'm mad about nothing. I'm mad because I'm not a billionaire or something. Like that's that's when it gets bad. That's when I need someone to be like, yo, because you know, because you you see sometimes comedians that no one in their circle told them no. Yeah. Even no, forget comedy. Any, M- M- yeah. Eminem, right? Mm-hmm. No one has ever told Eminem, "Hey, maybe cut out with cut out the puns." Like you know, like this, like you watch your leave out the window. That's why they call it window pane. Like there was no one that was like, "Hey, Marshall, you can't." Maybe don't do window pane. This is a specific call out. (laughs) 
I'm like obsessed with Eminem because like I'm like, did no one tell you not to say this? He like he he actually said, um, I'm talking euthanasia, like kids in Taiwan. I'm like, did you just do a euthanasia joke? I did that joke when I was 17 in high school. Like he's like the doctor told me to take an H test, told me to think positive. I'm like, did you do a positive joke? I'm, I'm, and I'm still listening to this guy because I have loyalty over. Um, no, yeah, that- it's, it's his first three albums. Same, like I, I still, am, I'm also still rooting for him and Kim. By the way, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> this, it's, which is like the epitome of romance yeah. in my mind for some reason. Yeah. Still, I, I love that. It's like 11 albums later. Like, yo, you want to hear an update about Kim? I'm like, I guess. <laughs> I guess, like, I guess you've never moved on. No, but anyway, my point was, I don't want to become somebody where no one ever told them not to say this. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the time, I don't want to name names, but there's a lot of top comedians mm-hmm. where you know, they go out and they're like, I'm a hero and I'm the, I'm the best comedian in the world. And, and it's like, dude, you need someone in your crew to tell you to cut the shit out. Mm-hmm. You kind of, you need people to check you. And I, you know, what's funny. I actually saw that with um, a couple of comedians I was like opening for that they have this kind of blew me. This was really inspiring to me. They bring uh, friends of theirs to go backstage with them and criticize their set. Like they write down what didn't work. They write down like, this is, you should do this and that differently. And uh, it means that they're so confident. They let go of their ego. Mm-hmm. Right. So confidence and ego are a different thing. The more, that's when I realized the more confident you get, the more your ego goes away. You know, I thought it was a counterintuitive thing that way. So I, I try to keep around, you know, my, not just my girlfriend, but I keep around friends that make fun of me a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of need, you, you need someone to, to tell you when you're being cringe and all that other stuff. My friend Nathan does it all the time. My friend Nathan is, um, oh, by the way, my, my best friend Nathan, the only time he's ever complimented my comedy is my interview, my interview with you. <laughs> Is, is this, this dude never complimented like, live. <laughs> he, he messages me i'm like nathan like you know he's like you know you have friends sometimes where you don't really talk about anything serious you just joke around yeah. all day and i'm like um he's like he's like yeah i heard your interview I'm like you listen to my stuff it's like so you've been capable of complimenting me this entire time and he started telling me details about your life like i don't know it's like are you so you just listened for her didn't you that was just i happen to be there but i like that he doesn't he doesn't uh, he's not one of those people that goes go, but do you think that's like is that i also find that a lot of my specifically my asian friends feel that way like yeah. like we i think like as a culture we're very like like we are really down on those that we love <laughs> Yeah, I think the love and, and like that's the humor right like there's nothing funny yeah. about like complimenting your friend but if you can like yeah. call them a piece of shit that's hilarious <laughs> you know what's funny is my dad is proud of me but will never say it right and and i find out he's proud from everybody else doesn't tell me one time okay so one time I'm, I'm i come home you know and they live in garden grove you know like little saigon and i come home and my mom is like going hey your dad's reading a newspaper you're in the vietnamese newspaper you're in the Garden Grove newspaper. I'm like, what? I am like, so I come outside. My dad is reading the paper with me on it with a big smile on his face. He catches me reading it. He puts it away and acts <laughs> like he didn't even. And I'm like, like you know, you'd be a lot happier if you just showed me you're proud of me. So you know what my dad, you know what my dad did is that he bought he bought the newspaper for everyone in the family. Like, and and, he, and I'm like, why don't you just tell me you're proud? By the way, and and in the article, they translated a Hollywood Reporter article where I talked about how he's an alcoholic. And how my mom has bipolar and stuff. And I thought he was going to be mad. But he's like, look, look, look my kid talked about how I drink too much. <laughs> and my wife's crazy and stuff. And then. Um, are, they, and are, they, are your parents immigrants? Yeah. So yeah from, they, are you from like a very traditionally Vietnamese family? Yes. Very much so. They live in Garden Grove and, and everything. Oh, there's another story I thought was really funny. Um, 
I, I was shooting my my Hulu special, you know, before it was Hulu, but my one hour special. No, what was it before? It was just like a shooting it for comedy invasion, you know. That oh, was like, oh, the, like before Hulu yeah, picked and, it up, you mean? Yeah, before Hulu picked it up, and it, and um, it was like the biggest set of my life, you know. It's a huge deal, and so my mom calls me the next day and goes, um, "Hey, how did how did it go?" And then she, you can hear her talking to someone off the phone, like I'm asking, I'm asking her, I'm asking her, <laughs> and then she, and then she's like, you know, your dad um, was sitting around yesterday, going, "I think Robin's gonna go up soon. I think she's gonna go up soon. Should we call her?" Call her and see how she's doing. And then like a couple hours later, he goes, should we call her and see how it went? It probably went well, right? It, it went well. You think it went well? So that means that when she called me, he was in the background going, hey, ask her if, if it went well. I'm like, dad, just just tell me you love me. I think if you would go so much better. Do it. Yeah. Why, why are Asian parents like that? I, I think, I don't know. It's more uh, closed off. I Emotionally closed off for some reason. Like my... Like my mom, if she didn't have bipolar, I'm sure she would never want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think she only she only opened up to it because I had it too. And you know, when we started talking about our mental health, like our relationship is better than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, yeah, Vietnamese people don't really talk about their mental health. Like Asian people don't really get to talk about it. I actually think it's kind of like it goes beyond that. It's it's for some reason in in media, only white people are represented as having mental. Hundred percent, yeah. Like it's like it's like if you anyone um, else is just like either violent or yes, right, 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 tensioned or yeah. But even like beyond that, I think a deeper issue is uh, I don't think Americans are capable of like looking at multiple problems at once, like you know intersectionality. So like like I've heard I've had this like people will go, you know, a white person will go, I'm well, I'm depressed, and you're transgender, and I'm like. I'm also other things. Like, I'm, also, I'm also, I also have bipolar. Like they think that because I have one thing that I don't have, any, you know, do, do, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's not a one-to-one. Like I have to deal with classism and you have to deal with racism. I also have to deal with classism. Like people just don't want to look at the full scope of things. So like the, the idea that like a black person can have bipolar or a, or a Latinx person can have, you know, a depression or whatever. It's, it's like, it, it's too much for people. Like one think. struggle at a time. One struggle at a time. Right. Hmm, yeah. that's that's really interesting yeah I, I mean I guess yeah that's true also like I think I think I don't know like I've been reading a lot about um how like the white man doesn't see the Asian person as like a real person and, oh yeah it's definitely true and, yeah. and like as this multifaceted emotional human being right like they just see us yeah. as an Asian person and that's it yeah I, I so I, I guess like that's probably part of it I mean yeah I, I learned in college um that it was it, there was um I got I forgot what it was called but it was like white people see um like they see um black people as more american than asian people mm-hmm. but they see Asi- asians as like um better than black Mon- people or like whatever you know like, you know like thing. yeah whatever and so it's like this simultaneous like Hey, you know, like in the model minority myth, right? Like when a white people go like, look, Asian people are better than Latinx and black people to like kind of have this like war between mm-hmm. us and everything. And and I think that's one way of doing it is to go, yeah, hey, Asian people are, are better than other minorities. They're like dragons. They're like not even, they're like mythical creatures. Right. Like, we're, we're like the way they talk about Asian people is like the compliments are very like, are we not even people like, man, they're so good at math. <laughs> like they're not even human beings. They're like robots that like, I, I, I can't even tell you the amount of times that people like, like before I came out as transgender even, right? He's being an Asian comic. There have been times where I'll tell someone a joke and then they'll explain the joke back to me and ask me if I got it. I'm like, I t- I'm the one that told you the fucking joke. Like just the idea that an Asian person can think right. of a funny idea is like completely lost on them. I-, I wanted to ask you about that actually, like specifically transitioning like in the public eye. 
like that's was that I guess like I mean I guess you don't have any other experience it's not like you've ever done it the other way right yeah like that's gotta be fucking nuts like yeah it was hard it was a lot has your fan base changed um well I think my fan base was pretty much non-existent before (laughs) I came out you know like (laughs) (laughs) I guess it changed from zero to five you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I my okay so I think my friends changed and yeah so um so I, I used to be more of like edgelord, like Opie and Anthony, like shock jock radio before I came out, like a shocky, you know, like the kind of comedians I kind of hate nowadays. I was them, but even worse. Like I was like the shock. And so like, I, I want to like dude bro-y. Dude bro-y. And then, you know, I come out as transgender and since I'm bipolar, like I go extremes, right? So now, now I'm writing a feminist blog. Right. And it was like, it's like, wait, didn't, weren't you just like calling women the C word like last week? I'm like, well, I'm a feminist now, you know? So I, so my, my fan that base was changed. last week. <laughs> yeah. So my, my change, my, my fans went from like being the worst people to the second worst people. <laughs> yeah. One extreme to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Just like it, they went from better like, extreme, right? Yeah. Like second. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Like my fans went from being like, like, you know, like all right kind of fans. Like those people are scary. Mm-hmm. They, they will like. But, you know, I think the fans I have now, like the worst of them, the most they are is they're very like annoying or control freaks, which I prefer over, you know, people who want to murder people that yeah, don't sure. like, you know, so, um, but I did have to go through a lot of uh, changes with, with friends. But you know what I'm learning recently, and I'm like learning all this after I got medicated, is I don't really care about a lot of stuff I used to care about. Like, so when I came out, I kind of did a lot of performative stuff by myself that no one saw. Like I... I would li- I like listen to sad songs and like I'm putting all of Robert's old clothes in a bag while I'm crying, going it didn't work out, Robert. Like I'm just kind of doing this stuff. I get home, like I'm supposed to feel sad and this is my dead name and I'm gonna kill Robert and everything. Then I got better and I'm like that was really over dramatic. I should have kept what? some of those clothes. <laughs> like like I, I don't know why I did that. And and um, isn't that like kind of part and- of the grief process? I would imagine. But the thing is, is that like this is gonna sound like I hate the term dead name i think the term de- de- dead name it really made me depressed longer because what i was really doing was like robert wasn't real and so you could kill that person but it's like if if i was robert for 26 years of my life and i'm saying i should kill that person i'm saying i should kill a part of me mm-hmm. someone as, as someone who has like survived suicidal ideations i find that kind of that idea to be kind of offensive now that i'm looking back on it no look look i'm not saying that this is what people are this is just my own opinion on dead name right so okay so is it kind um, of the feeling of like then what was that all worth or like that was all for nothing it's more like i forgive robert and i think that he was kind of cool that he um was brave enough to come out as transgender knowing that that was gonna throw everything i give that credit to robert robert is the mm-hmm. one that was so brave that he was willing to throw it all away and so i think i'm like embracing robert again and I was listening to, I don't know if I said it, I was listening to the new Weezer album, right? <laughs> this is, this I, is, I've seen yeah. on social media that you're obsessed with so, Weezer. <laughs> I'm obsessed with Weezer. I was obsessed with Weezer in high school. Same. So I'm, lis- I'm listening to their new album uh, called OK Human, and I'm listening to the songs, and I'm embracing Robert from high school again. And, and like this is what's so funny is that this was as powerful of a feeling as coming out as transgender, but no one gives a shit about it. <laughs> like I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, right? Like I'm embracing my nerd Robert self from high school and I'm loving that person. And that's a very powerful feeling. It sounds so healing. It's very healing. So I had a, a therapist appointment and I was, you know, when I was going to do roast battle again, I was like, ah, roast battle. That's something that Robert would do. I don't know if I want to bring, cause you know, when I, you come out, you want it to be like a clear cut. 
like I'm Robin now and everything in the past is, is over. And she's like, you know, it's okay for you to bring back some of the parts of yourself that you liked, like roasting and stuff. So when I was listening to that Weezer album and I was like, oh my God, Robert was not always depressed. Robert had moments where he was really happy and dancing and being silly and stuff. So I'm trying to like take all those good qualities and bring them back. And which means I'm reaching out to my old friends again, that I kind of was like, that's Robert's friends and everything. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Hey, how are you guys doing? And it's not this thing that's dead anymore. Like I, I made it so like this kind of mythical, like this death and, and you know, like, um, it's just life. Like reborn, it's, it's like, this is the new me. and Reborn, it. this is the new me. Yeah. It's, it's just life. It's, it's like, I don't know if there's such a thing as like, you you know you move on you figure it out and you die you kind of you die and you didn't figure things out like life is just you like you're alive you mess up a bunch and you die and i think that sounds morbid but it's kind of freeing right mm-hmm. like i don't like how often do people say goodbye and they never talk again like there's been people in my life where i go like oh she and i will never talk again and we're friends again or whatever right uh, i don't know if i believe in all that stuff yeah. anymore yeah the permanent the permanence, the permanence of, of, of it of, all and, and also like i believe in like you know, like quitting comedy and then not quitting comedy, like, like just kind of doing whatever you want to do in the moment. That's so interesting. Like, so, 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 so when you cut out like an old friend, I'm not cutting out the old friend forever. I'm cutting out an old friend for now. So maybe we will talk again one day. Yeah. I don't know if forever goodbye, like that stuff exists. I, I, I'm totally a thousand percent with you. And it's so interesting that you bring this up because this is something I've been thinking about a lot as well is like, and I think we talked about it briefly before is like, you know, like you should allow yourself to change your mind and like, it's, it's okay to change your mind. And like, I do think about the permanence of things. Like, for example, like I don't do drugs at this point in my life, you know, like I have mm-hmm. a kid, I, I just can't be doing that right now. But like, I'm also like, that doesn't mean I'm never going to do drugs again. That's <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. You know? Or like, I feel strongly about, you know, one thing now, but like nothing is for certain. Nothing is for certain. That's right. And if I, I used to worry. Mind, I should. Yeah. I used to worry so much about like, I like this thing now. Am I watching this show too much? Did I rewatch this thing? Like I used to just like every, every fucking thing I did, I would just like, I would judge it, mm-hmm. you know, I would judge it as a bad thing. And like, uh, am I wasting my life? Am I wasting my time? And I just, you know what? I just leaned into it pretty recently yeah. that I'm going to, the way I, maybe because I'm autistic, right? But what I do is I consume the same thing for about two weeks and I get bored of it and I find a new obsession. So I have these obsessions like for like three weeks, for some reason, for three weeks, I was very into just video game documentaries. I just watched so many, I'd watch video game documentaries, video game commentary. Oh, you know, I haven't seen that. I heard that's so like good. the best yeah. one, though. Watch it. Yeah, anyway. but, but I just, the, <laughs> it was a difficult phase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not for now. I am. See, we're bringing it back right, to right, that. Right. <laughs> but like cons- console wars, Nintendo versus Sega. That was a big. And then I got bored of it. And then like, uh, oh, I, the Weezer album. I listened to it like a thousand times in three weeks. Ah, okay. I'm kind of okay. This Eminem song. I'm really into this Eminem song. Or okay, and I'm really into wrestling. And so I just kind of feel like do it forever, however long you like it for. And then when you stop liking it, you can stop it and bring it back later. I think we all need to have like more uh, like our our language is so pressure filled. Mm-hmm. You know the word the word should is like poison. Mm-hmm. Like if you if you change it the word should to like I wish that or it, you know whatever right like instead of saying I should do the laundry mm-hmm. you know you say like it would be nice if I did laundry because mm-hmm. when you say, when you say should. It's like my body tenses up and go, did someone tell me what to do? And you kind of get this like, you feel totally. like pressured and then you don't want to do that. And you're thing anxious anymore, you know? and it's a whole thing. And yeah. And I think a lot of it is, is capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all goes back to capitalism. It's like there's a pandemic right now 
and half a million people are dead and people are, and, and America is so capitalistic that people are still going around going, am I doing enough? Am I, <laughs> am I, uh, am I handling this pandemic? Well, why am I not going on a jog right now? Well, because the world is all messed up. Why don't you like, like people judge themselves so much during this pandemic. Like I've seen people like my friends will go, Oh man, I had ice cream at two in the afternoon. Just, just survive. <laughs> Who gives a shit? It's fine. We're all a little messed up right now, okay? Like, like for the love of God, let yourself do whatever you can to get past this. Yeah. Don't be, don't, people, people want to be perfect. But the thing is that human beings are not perfect. We are flawed inherently. That is what it's like. That is what it being a human being is, right? How do you feel about cancel culture? Actually, you know what I really want to ask you is like, how, how, how can you be a comic now with cancel culture? Like, I don't understand how anyone is making jokes at all. <laughs> I, I, I'm terrified of that. Okay, so I have a very... Oh, man, this is... I, I love talking about this stuff. Um, I'm glad you don't know what my stance is. That's kind of what I like to do. I kind of <laughs> like to keep... But since, but since you asked and, you know, people... I think okay, I so, talk about it a lot and I don't know your stance. <laughs> okay, so... so I've heard someone say this before, and I agree with it. Cancel culture is just culture. Okay. You know, it's like it's like if you can't even complain about cancel culture. It's like you're complaining about the weather. Okay. And so that's what Anthony just said. That's actually kind of what I see it as. So, do I like that people are more critical of jokes and and all that stuff? No, I don't like it. Do I like that um, you can like uh, say something and then your fans fans will turn on you? No, I don't like that either. But what I hate even more are the people who are like very anti cancel culture. And so, like, the way that they, those people drive me more insane when they go, well, I'm just going to say racial slurs now because liberals mm-hmm. annoyed me. And I'm like, well, that's not the solution. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I feel, and I feel like they've become, uh, like, the same attitude of people who do cancel culture. The anti-cancel culture people have the same attitude, except their takes are bad. It's the two sides of right? the same so, coin. So, so, so it's, it's, yeah, but it's like one side is like, okay, I can see your point, but you're annoying. And the other one is like, I don't see your point and you're annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, so those are the two competing things. And so like the, the, the thing is about these edgy comedians is that like if cancel culture didn't exist, they wouldn't be edgy because mm-hmm. then no one would be mad at them, right? Mm-hmm. So if no one's mad at anything you say, then you're not really edgy, right? right. So, so I, you know, I think about like Curb Your Enthusiasm has been on the air for, it's still like on the air. He pushes the envelope. Mm-hmm. He had a Trump hat on in the premiere um you know larry david um said he didn't want to hang out with assholes anymore so he started wearing a trump hat yeah. around la to get people to not and you have larry david's wearing a make america great again hat going like yeah you grab him by the pussy and it's it's hilarious he, larry david got away with it whatever where's cancel culture for larry david it's always sunny in philadelphia south park is still on the air um you can say anything you want you don't really like none of these people are like losing much the only people who've like lost things because of cancel culture are things that they've done off screen mm-hmm. like you know sexual sexual misconduct and all that stuff i don't remember the last time anyone ever got in trouble in america at least for a joke they told all, all that really happened was that a lot of people got mad at them and that sucks mm-hmm. i've dealt with that i can see why it's upsetting because when people go you're a bad person mm-hmm. it, you take it personally and you get mad at those people mm-hmm. But um, I don't think it's like – I think you can also just ignore those people. But like, like do I'm, you, I'm, don't I'm, you believe in like people becoming better or learning the oh, lesson? No, yeah, oh, 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 okay. If we're talking about that part of cancel culture, I do think – I don't like that um, – I guess I was initially asking about the permanence of cancel culture. Like how if, if, if you do one bad thing, like can you not learn and grow from it? I, I do think that that is, that is a huge problem. 
there's a lack of nuance when it comes to this stuff. So I feel like, um, I feel like there should be a cutoff point. I don't know what the cutoff point is. And someone goes like, (laughs) Oh, seven years. Like, like like if someone's like, Oh, this person's tweeted something racist. I'm like, well, what year was it? 2009. (laughs) Like you leave that person alone. Like, have they grown since? Like, there's no reason to like get mad at them. And and, and and but like you know marjorie taylor green mm-hmm. is like oh that's not me anymore i'm like that was two months ago right that's totally right. that's you, you you can't just do that with everything yeah 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 but 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 i do think this kind of like this habit of going through people's tweets from like eight years ago and going you said this thing mm-hmm. the reason i don't like that i think it's very dishonest because like society has gotten more has gotten better yes. so actually the way i look at it, I, I don't think anyone looks at it this way but whenever I see something racist from like 15 years ago, I actually laugh, not because it's racist. I laugh at the relief that it's not okay anymore. Mm-hmm. So I don't think we, I don't think we should censor that stuff. I think it should be like this kind of this artifact of like, look at how much progress we've made since then. I was watching a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode from 2005 recently or 2006, and Bobby Lee was playing a Korean guy with just this heavy accent. And he's like, "Oh, you have a lovely dog," and I'm like, "I'm really glad we don't do this shit anymore." <laughs> you know. <laughs> um um so so i think it's yeah because you're right like Like the 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 pattern kind of has been or kind of like the go-to thing lately has been like kind of erasing all of that right like people are taking things out of um like completely out of a show or out of a movie or like covering something up completely yeah i don't really like like that part of it yeah no also like how are we what's that thing where like you're bound to repeat history blah 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 if you don't right yeah like how would we if if we erase it but yeah. Also, like, I I do completely agree with you, like, in what you were talking about, how cancel culture does tend to, like, hit people who are doing horrible shit off camera. Or, yes, so I guess, right. like, I guess, do you feel like, is, is an offensive joke okay if it's funny? Like, is that what? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But if people get mad at it, just to deal with people being mad at it. Right. Like you have the right to say it, and they have the right to get mad. First Amendment is doing great. <laughs> that's how it's I, worth I, it. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I say I say funny shit all the time that people get mad at, and it's it's fine. You know, can I talk? You know, about cancel culture because mm-hmm. I, I think about I think about this stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. Right? Is um, can people get better? Can people whatever? Absolutely. I don't like that being the go-to response mm-hmm. because it's like it's, I don't Easy. like presuming that they. I don't like presuming that they have gotten better. Mm-hmm. I think that presumption, because I think people uh, are either too quick to go, this person is a bad person forever. And another, and the other is like, this person is fine because they're, it's like, you don't know if they're fine either. Right. I think that those, those are very bad uh, extremes. So what, what I kind of conceptualize it as is I see people who are going, you need to apologize and other people going, I will never apologize. And I think those are both really bad impulses because mm-hmm. I've been, I, I've been on both sides of this. You know, I've been like in the, edgelord cult i've been in the woke cult i think they're all cults like they're all like cult of mine so like um i'll never apologize is what's happening now with the republicans mm-hmm. it's like, the refu- thing right yeah they're they're never apologizing and so like they're screwing themselves over if trump had just shown any kind of remorse or empathy i'm sure a lot of people would have forgiven yeah him. not a lot of people people like love to forgive pieces of shit in america you know like so but um th- then i didn't realize this until it happened to me someone was like saying someone demanded a public apology from mm-hmm. me and i realized like oh you don't care if i am sorry you want me to say sorry mm-hmm. so this is not this, so this is not about uh progress or anything this is about you feeling powerful that you made me do something because mm-hmm. here's the thing maybe i would have said sorry mm-hmm. but you said 
I don't care if you are sorry. I want you to say it. It was almost like you kneel down in front of me and say you're sorry. This, none of this has anything to do with empathy. Right. It's like you said, it's a progress. power thing. This is a power dynamic. And it's like if you treated a partner this way and you and you, and you you were like that kind of a, a control freak, people would call you abusive yes. rightfully. And so I think those are very uh, – extreme reaction to what do you think is like the perfect reaction to being canceled i think the way that we communicate in general drives me insane is i think what it should be and this is i think it's too broken now i don't even know if we can get back to this is i think two people should be talking to each other uh and say imperfect things Mm -hmm. but there there, but there is a a mutual understanding that we're both trying our best right i think that is completely gone and um we can say whose fault it is back and forth, but uh, I, yeah, I just think communication is broken. I don't think people are speaking the same language, and I don't mean like English, Spanish, or, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just mean like we're not speaking the same language. Is like um, no one is really honest about how they feel about this, mm-hmm. and, and, and so like um, you know why people like Trump is people said oh he tells it like it is, but but he lies all the time. But it's like you guys aren't listening when people say he tells it like it is, they mean he is emotionally honest. People found him refreshing because he got mad, he yelled, he got angry, he got upset. People find that to be relatable. You know, like politicians are usually like robots. Like they say the right thing and everything. And yeah, they say the diplomatic practiced thing. And then it happened to Bernie. written by someone else. Right. But so, so Bernie, people got mad at him because he's yelling too much. It's like, come on, guys. Like if he's if you're really upset about income inequality and lack of health care, you're why wouldn't you yell? Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you no, get Bernie's mad? Right? So I think it's completely justified to me. <laughs> I, no, I, I completely agree. Like whenever Bernie yells, I'm just like I, I'm getting goosebumps. Thank you. To Bernie. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for, for thank you for making for making me feel like like there there is a complete phoniness from everybody. I think everyone is like so afraid of saying how they feel, and even you know, and the people who say that usually, you know, the right wingers who say that, but you're not being honest either. Mm-hmm. You're just you, you're just using that as like a, a shoehorn for just these bigoted ideas. Like, I don't. How did you get your conclusion to be like people don't deserve rights? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like people aren't honest about how they feel, and you know what everyone feels is that those people shouldn't be here. I'm like, well, I don't know how you got to that conclusion. Can you show your work? Because I agree with half of that. Why are Republicans only good at the first half? How did you get – like Republicans are very good at like pointing out problems that the Democrats do. do and then just having the, do couples therapy? Do me and my – what? Do you, you and your girlfriend do couples therapy? Oh, no, we don't. You talk like someone who um, does couples therapy. I'm in couples therapy and I feel like – like the way, like the way you just described everything is like basically everything I've learned in couples therapy in the last three years. Oh, what, like what do you mean? Just like you know, like how much we suck at communicating, and we're never saying our true feelings, right? And then, like, of course, there's a lot of ego involved and blah blah blah. But like, if we could all come from a place where we're speaking out of like what we're vulnerable about, yeah, and mm-hmm. it, we would all empathize with each other. And, yeah. and like, of course, like the show your work thing, like, yeah, you came to this conclusion that certain people's rights don't matter, but may- maybe perhaps if we could see, if you could show us your work and we could see <laughs> how you came to that conclusion, then we could have a really honest conversation. Yeah. Maybe we could start listening to each other and we wouldn't automatically be hating these people and they wouldn't be hating yeah. us back and we wouldn't all just be reacting toward each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, I think there's like two things happening. Mm-hmm. I think the, the systemic thing is really 
I don't think like the solution to like ending racism and all that stuff is like people having conversations. I think that is a different. I think that is a different issue altogether. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like I think racism and all that stuff is like a systemic thing. Like you got to pass policies. You have to like all, you know all this stuff. I, I, what I'm talking about is pure like uh, interpersonal communication. Mm-hmm. Inter, just interpersonal is different from systemic to me. And the, I mean, but I, don't you it, think it, from communication and from interpersonal change would come systemic? Because well, some uh, people are content with the systemic racism because. Well, 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 well here, here's here's how I have a joke about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, do I think that if you reach across the aisle and talk to a Nazi, that you can change their hearts and minds? I do think that's possible. Mm-hmm. It, it takes a lot, a while, but if we do that one at a time. In two hundred fifty thousand years, we will have. <laughs> like I'm just kidding. It's, it's 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 like it's like if you save money to buy a house by not buying Starbucks anymore, right? you'll save a few bucks. Just skip that avocado toast. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's like yeah, that will save you money. But anyway, but my my whole thing is just like um, I I think that yeah, I I do think that um more communication would would help. I'm not saying it's not going to help, but what I mean is, you know, people are trying to like use facts mm-hmm. to change people's minds. That's not how people communicate. Like, you yeah. know, someone will go like, here's some data that I picked mm-hmm. and, and you, you idiot. It's like, well, you just call this person an idiot. They're not going to listen to you anymore. So like it. it <sighs> well, also, also yeah. always data to support any side. Like anytime you Google anything, you're going to find supporting facts. For yeah. Argument. I, I'm very big on ep- empathetic. But also, like, don't you feel like for me, like I think people that are okay with sy- systemic racism, for example, like even people I I wouldn't say like I know in, I know in real life like in a acquaintance kind of way like I'm like oh you just for example don't know black people and yeah, I think yeah. like like a lot of people like in Florida for example that are like just like you're okay with systemic racism because you don't know any black people you don't have any black friends so who cares for you yeah yeah no I I think that's true um I don't know I guess this is a big uh, I don't know the solution to all this stuff. yeah I mean I, I guess yeah there's no, so I wasn't going to say about. I was going to say like, I had a friend, uh, and his girlfriend were both arguing with each other, mm-hmm. and I'm in the middle for whatever reason, <laughs> and 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 they're both trying to bring up facts like they're in a courtroom, yeah, to each other, and I'm like, why don't you just tell her that your feelings are hurt? Like what, what is what is what is this? Like this is <laughs> this you guys is are not just being honest with me, or like this is like the central thing to couples therapy is like. Like my husband and I will be arguing and we're both bringing up facts and our therapist calls it going into lawyer mode where we're trying so hard to be right and prove to the other person. And all we're thinking is like, if, if I can just present you the facts, you will see that I am correct. You are wrong. And you will apologize to me and see why you hurt my feelings. When really the thing that works is saying what you did was so hurtful and it made me so sad inside and it made me scared that you're going to leave me. Actually, actually, this is oh, this is what I was going to say. I, I, I remember now. Science actually backs that up. Okay, is that okay? So our former communication is so broken. You know, Ben Shapiro, facts don't care about your feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, feelings don't care about your facts. That's actually the truth of it. Mm-hmm. Is that like is is I read in an article like for instance, feelings, our feelings and our emotions drive us so much in ways that you don't even realize. Like you, you, the reason why you don't put your hand on the stove is not because it hurts. It's because of your fear of pain. Right. So like, so there was this guy that he got into a a car accident and something happened to his brain where he didn't have 
the emotional thing anymore. He just had logic and he didn't know how to do things anymore. He couldn't play poker anymore because he, he wasn't afraid of losing money. He didn't know what clothes to pick because he didn't care about what clothes there was. So he couldn't live his life anymore Yeah, because we are driven by, we are emotional people. Yeah. And, and there are actually all these different sciences that prove this. Like there's a behavioral economics, which is this, the kind of the science of, of the, um, we are predictive. We are predictably irrational people. Yeah, that's what that's what we we are not. And so whenever someone tries to bring up facts and everything, the communication is broken from the very. You can beginning. count on us to be irrational. Yes, that's what I mean, human yeah, beings I agree. are. Like even in therapy, in my personal therapy, not my couple yeah, therapy. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm constantly like, I'm always like, I know this isn't logical, but I feel this, blah blah blah. And what my therapist is constantly telling me is like, throw that word away. Like the logical yeah. thing is like, it's logical to you. If you feel that way, your body is reacting. It's logical to your body, right? Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. matter about the facts or like the objective truth or whatever. It's like my experience makes me feel this way and it's logical yeah. to my brain to react. Yeah. It's also like our idea of what logical is, is based on like a bunch of like sociopathic white guys from hundreds totally. of years ago, right? Even like the, you know, like, oh, these are the 10 uh, arg- argumentative fallacies. People are just throwing fallacies on Twitter. Like this is a debate club. Like that's an ad hominem and this is a red herring. Like shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> People came up. This is all also biased. Everyone's biased. You fucking liars. I, I, hate, I hate all of it. It's, it's like, um, God, logic, right? Like someone will go, um, I cut this person out of my life and I'm depressed and I shouldn't be. That doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't it make sense? You're thinking about a sad thing constantly. And so you're going to be sad. I think people have this idea, like, if I do the right thing, then my feelings will follow. And I, if I get rid of a bad person, then I will be a happy person. That actually is not logical. Mm-hmm. If you, it's only logical if you take the human element out of it, which you can't because you're a human being. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting uh, like examples of this was like, I think it was pancake mix. This is what I learned from behavioral economics. It was something like, I think they made it so that the pancake mix was like basically already ready. Um, so you didn't have to really mix anything together. And no one really bought it. They're like, why are people not buying this thing? We made it easier for what, them. Like, a, like it's already the the batter, you mean? Like in it's a liquid it's like, it's, Yeah, it's basically there were like very few steps to making pancakes. Okay. It, it, I might be getting it wrong, but um, so they, they couldn't figure out why. They were making it easier for people. Wouldn't people want to buy something that is easy to make? Right. And then, they, and then they did more research. And what people didn't like was it took away – um, their ability to make the pancake unique to them, like like the the you know the the process. Like let's say you want to make a pancake for your boyfriend or girlfriend, you, you know you putting the milk in yourself and stirring it. There's an act of love there, involved, right? Right. <laughs> and so like so what they did was they they made it harder to make again, and it started selling again. <laughs> so, so so based on logic, you know the the lo- the the skewed logic that we think logic is. People would go, well, easier <laughs> means people would do it less, but that's not how fucking people work, right? That's just not how human beings work. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's kind like, of what... and then like you think of the context of like pancakes are like historically associated as something like you know like the image we have of pancakes is like the mother like making the pancakes for the family and like right, right, you know, right. It's, it's like a family thing you're doing together and like you're all excited on Saturday morning and like yeah right <laughs> so there's wor- yeah I guess that's yeah, I, I I guess my whole thing is like everything everything is actually logical if you think. Of human beings as being illogical people, right? <laughs> like, like, so that, that's actually how I conceptualize it. Like, oh, why am I sad today? Oh, because human beings get sad sometimes. Yeah. Stop trying to make logic out of everything. 
Well, also like that kind of reminds me of like something you said on the, when we did our Instagram live together that I would love for you to repeat because I, I just think it's like, I've been think I think about it at least once a day since you said it. And like, I asked you a question, which was, how do you cheer yourself up when you're sad? And your answer was, I don't yeah, you, <laughs> I would, you, like you reiterate should, you, that. Yeah. Well, you, you write, you, you know, you write it out because if you, um, if you're sad and you're struggling with it and you're trying to fight being sad, it's like you're struggling in quicksand and you just fall deeper. And then you, um, when you get sad, uh, most people stay sad longer because they judge themselves for being sad. Right. The guilt. So they go like the, the guilt of being sad. It's like, why am I sad? I shouldn't be sad. I'm stupid for being sad. Yeah, I have, yeah, right. You I go, I have clean water. Your problems. Yeah. And so you start minimizing, like you start using like these kind of, uh, these kind of great ideas and theory, but you weaponize it against yourself. So gratitude is a great thing, but I don't think it's good to use gratitude when you're sad. Mm-hmm. Now you're just gaslighting yourself. Gratitude should be something that when you're happy and then you think about what you're grateful for, you become happier, right? But when you're sad and you start thinking about, oh, I have so much and I'm so dumb and I'm ungrateful, people use like this harshest language on themselves when they're sad. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, um, you know, I, I didn't say this part, but like let's say like my friend uh, wanted to get over a guy that she liked. Mm-hmm. She's like, how do I get over this guy? I'm like, well, first, what you need to do is to admit that you still like this guy and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, but I shouldn't like this guy. Yeah, but you do. But he does this thing. He's abusive. Yeah, so you like an abusive person. Welcome to being every single person in their entire life has liked someone abusive. So the first thing you need to do to get over this person is to not judge yourself for doing a very mm-hmm. human thing. It's just don't judge yourself so much for being human. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's, that's the same thing with being sad. Right. So like, yeah, I. I eat ice cream and I watch wrestling and I take it as a day to reset. And actually sadness is a a healthy emotion. So sadness and depression are very different. I haven't been depressed for a year and a half, but I've been very sad. And that feeling of being very sad is is healthy because when you're very sad, you do slow down. You get a little more contemplative. You get a little deep and you can feel good for being sad because sometimes we need to be. Mm -hmm. It's part of the human experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So like now that we are a full year into this pandemic, your depression has lifted, (laughs) you're um, doing amazingly. Like what is like, is there a plan for what is coming next for you or like what you're just going to keep on keeping on or like, Um, like, like I know you said when the pandemic started, your goal was like, you're like, I'm going to get fucking famous during this and I'm going (laughs) to, you know, go on every platform and all that. Like, like, is there, is the goal to just continue that? You know, I try not to think too much into the future. Mm-hmm. I just want to get in trouble. Um, I do think I, I'm I'm talking to my therapist right now, and we're trying to bring in some fu- some future thinking into my brain. Okay. And I realized I realized recently the reason why I don't think about the future very much is because most of my life I've been broke, and when you don't have money, you can't really think about the future. Sure. So now that I'm, I'm you know I'm now I'm not completely broke all the time anymore. I can think about the future a little bit. Right, because you're day to day when. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I have like vague plans of like. I like my own TV show one day. I would like, um, but I I love the process of comedy so much. Mm-hmm. Another thing I read in a self help book was like to enjoy the whole journey, not just the destination. Mm-hmm. There's a thing called destination fallacy. It's what I used to have, which is like once I reach this goal, I'll be happy, and then once I reach this goal, I'll be happy. But you're not happy while you're leading up to that thing. But that is bringing us back to capitalism. That's what capitalism wants out of us. They want us to keep thinking, when I hit this next big thing, 
I will be yeah. happy. Oh, that wasn't right. enough. Let me spend some more money. Let me spend more money. Yeah. <laughs> so I so I like the pro- now I enjoy the entire process. That's kind of a secret to life. Is just enjoy the whole journey, not the destination. So like you know, back then it was like once I put out a joke, I'd be happy with that in the response. But now it's like the whole process of creating the joke, thinking about the joke, putting the joke together, putting it online, getting the response. I enjoy every single step of that process um, from beginning to end for different reasons. So I feel like I'm always doing what I love all the time. Oh. So I would just like to, I would just like to just do that constantly. Like if what, what I love about comedy for me is I feel like there's different languages of comedy, right? So like people, people go, Oh, you make memes. It's not real comedy. Yeah, of course it's real comedy. Yeah. What does that mean for me? Real comedy. So I think, you know, I learned how to make memes. I learned how to make TikTok videos on my own. I learned how to make, you know, Instagram videos. Do you and, make your you know, content? Do you tailor your content to each platform? I'm trying to learn that. Yeah. There's like different, like, like Gen Z laughs at different things from Gen X. Right. That's what I wanted to ask. Like, like Mm -hmm. does TikTok laugh at something different than Instagram stories, for example, even though they're very like similar to me, like short videos. They they really, they really do. I think whenever I have like a dated reference uh, that like the kids don't know about, it kills on Instagram (laughs) and it bombs on TikTok. (laughs) Happens all the time. So I, I, I try to make my comedy like universal and I don't, I try not to have too many references in it, you know. Like a lot you of say that, but also like I've seen you tweet like nine tweets in a row about Weezer. So, <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the joke. But if you don't get the references of Weezer, you can laugh that I'm crazy for liking Weezer. Tr- right. There's still right, there's right. there's still like there's still like a enough there for people to laugh at, even if they don't get what I'm talking. about. Okay. Yeah. I tr- I try to make everything I do inclusive in that way. That everyone's gonna laugh at what I do for a different reason. So, I guess my answer is like I I'm I'm so in love with what I'm doing constantly now that. Um, I just want to keep doing it. I, if, as long as my brain stays healthy, I don't think anything can really stop me from mm-hmm. doing, doing whatever I want. Do you Probably have whatever. like, um, like for example, in porn, like I, I can tell usually like if I'm like out in public, like I can tell which people will come up to me and want a picture. Is that, is it like that for you? Or are you like, <laughs> like, like, do you, do you have a certain kind of fan? Uh, Primarily, uh, you know, well, yeah, I think my fans are more LGBTQ in general. Okay. Um, I have actually Asian Asians. Uh, I have a big Asian fan base, which I'm surprised about. I also I was like a sellout to them or whatever, and mm-hmm. I, apparently I was wrong. Um, <laughs> a lot of queer, a lot of queer people like me, but you know what's funny? It's like people like me for different reasons, and I like that too. Some people just know me from roast battle. Right. So I, those those fans are more like they try to roast me on Twitter a lot, and then I have fans who find me to be inspiring, which is. Half an insult and half. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's kind of fun. But um, what's yeah, the most I, gratifying fan? Like for me, like like I love I I love when women love me. To me, that's just the. It's just. It's not even like oh, I'm making porn for women. Nothing like that. I'm totally making porn for men. But it's yeah. just very gratifying to me. I, I, I will a female say that, fan. I would say there are two fans that make me the most flattered. Okay. One of them is when a, a young closeted person messages me and goes, because you have made it okay to be like an imperfect trans person, it has inspired me to come out. Mm-hmm. I have helped I have helped more. That has been the most rewarding thing to me. <laughs> I can't even I, imagine. Because I, 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 I think that the, the, the perfectionism and the trans discourse has kept a lot of trans people in the closet because they feel like they won't be able to like live up to whatever trans is. You know what I mean? Like the gatekeepers of being trans. Um, 
So and I like, that, like, what do you mean? Like they get all the surgeries and like, yeah, but just, you know, just like you go on Twitter and everyone has like rules and like how to talk to trans people, how trans people should feel about this and what trans people should like. It's become this kind of regressive, like, you know, being trans should be more free and you should be free and doing whatever you want and think however you want. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I just come out and say things that are flawed. Like I misgender myself by accident all the time during the pandemic because I don't look like a girl all the time. And it's just like to say these things for people to be like, oh can i come out and be imperfect of course you can and to lower the standard for people Mm -hmm. to be able to come out and not have to constantly justify their existence by proving their womanhood or their manhood or whatever and by being 100 percent woke all the time and always being like the the leader in what is Mm -hmm. like politically correct yeah 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 and so like those make me and also you know what really flatters me is when like actual activists like my comedy Mm -hmm. because and i feel like that's very flattering because i don't feel like i do like i'm not like obviously activists all the time because i use shitty language on purpose because it makes me laugh more mm-hmm. but when activists kind of go like i see what you're doing and it's you're still doing the right thing for social justice or whatever mm-hmm. i find that to be very flattering like i'm glad that that they don't see me as kind of doing damage to things to that the I community really or whatever yeah 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 i think that's very flattering yeah yeah for sure i can i could definitely see that do you do you ever think like just by being trans and in the public eye, you're like automatically an activist, like um, upon you. I think I, I do. I mean, I do a joke about how I don't want to be a trans hero. I just want to be a <laughs> shitty transgender woman. Like I just want to be a, a transgender woman who starts shit for no reason and walk into women's restrooms and be like, "Why does your women's restroom have any urinals?" You know, like just. I think I think I think putting uh, the hero like making us heroes is a bad. It's not good for the cause. Um, I think it's very it puts too much pressure on you to be a spokesperson for something that you're kind of new yeah. experiencing. So yeah, I think uh, you know I could understand I, that. I mean, I, I think sex workers like on a different level get that as well. Like now that the world is like supporting sex work, finally, it's like right. Like I signed up to like get gang banged. You know what I mean? Like, right. Right. <laughs> trying, like, but yeah, right, right, I right. feel the pressure. And, 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 you know, as I grow older, like I do feel this responsibility like that I didn't feel before, but yeah, that's like certainly not what I signed up for. Like I was yeah, horny. I feel, I feel very similar to that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm deleting something real quick in case this uh, thing doesn't my, my laptop is very old, so I apologize for it. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. You know, I'm always, I'm, I'm always paranoid that, like, we're going to lose all this audio. So I've already, in my head, I've prepared, like, a, you know, at least we had a good conversation, right? <laughs> like, you just just in case it all goes, I'm, I'm already, like, apologizing to you for, like, existing. Like, I, I was going to message you yesterday and be like, I'm really insecure about my internet connection. I don't know why, but I wanted you to feel as stressed out as I do. Um, <laughs> that's what I'm doing right now. I'm, like, all neurotic and shit. <laughs> Do you, do you think there's such a thing as a stupid neurotic person? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I have a very um, – I'm trying to – I'll try to keep this short. But there is um, – we actually don't have the right perception on what stupidity is. Okay. Is, okay, so like I went to a wellness center for a year because I was like super depressed. and You know, wellness center is like I, I, I say it's like a, a mental health and a community college fucked like and had a kid. Like that's what – it just it's just like – it's like this – is it like a yoga retreat? It's like a it's like group therapy for people who cannot afford a mental hospital. So it's like it's run by other people who it's like a bipolar class is run by a bipolar person. Okay. Or like a schizophrenia class is run by that. So I used to think that I was depressed and had bipolar because I was a genius 
and only smart people can beat the press. Like, oh my God, if I were stupid, I'd be so happy. You know, that's kind of what you're told yeah. in TV and movies your whole life. Yeah, and for then, sure. And, and, and then, you know, you, you go there and a lot of people who have bipolar there have mental disabilities. They would be what you would consider quote unquote stupid. Right. They have bipolar, they have depression, they have schizophrenia. And um, stupid people are can be some of the deepest people in the world. Like, I, and when I say stupid, I, I don't know the better word for it, but like uneducated, right? Mm-hmm. Or poor or, or whatever. Well, no, some I, of, I definitely didn't mean like uneducated. Oh, no, I mean like, you know, neurotic. Yeah, I think like um, I would I would express my neuroses in Wellness Center and uh, they would respond with their own neuroses, but it would be more like, it would be kind of more profound in a way. Okay. Because because since they're not as educated, they don't use like these big words. They kind of they have to rely on like this emotional feeling that we all universally rather feel. than like spitting and, and, out something they heard from a much more intelligent right. person. <laughs> right, and like like the, the the analogies that they would use. Like I remember this one guy, man. Like the way he said this was he, he you know I was like man I'm so nervous about the show tonight. I can't think about anything else, and and I'm just obsessed with it. And he goes like, hey, relax, you know, you, you know you're you're set tonight. That's like the filet mignon. You can't just wait all day for a filet mignon and be starving. You gotta eat something, man. Have a banana. Have some. Have some chicken. And I'm like, holy shit, this is really That's helping beautiful. Me. And, and and that he would just say things like this to me all the time. And he was a super neurotic person. But if you know, if he walked out on the you know in college, people like, that guy's stupid. He doesn't. Yeah, yeah, like conventionally, yeah, by yeah, society yeah. standards. Super, super neurotic person. Um, he, you know, kind of off topic, but he, one of the advice he gave, he gave me, and it changed the way he's talked about me one time was so flattering. He goes, you know what you are, Robin. You're like a, a good book, you know, but like I'm just reading the first page and I'm like, man, this first first page is fucking awesome. Holy shit. I can't read. I can't wait to read the rest of this fucking book. And I was like, that's one of the most flattering things anyone's <laughs> ever said to me. But um, anyway, I, I have a very like, I, I guess I've uh, realized that intelligence is a privilege and I didn't realize I had it until like 2018. So that's kind of what I was saying about. I mean, maybe like classic intelligence and in like the way like education is a privilege. I, I, think, don't like, I don't know if I think intelligence is a pro- I don't know. I mean, like, well, isn't intelligence yeah. just like using your brain? I guess I don't really know that. Intelligence is a privilege because every person who, like, and I guess intelligence is like um, the ability to kind of uh, perceive things kind of in a linear way and to, re- you know, retain information and stuff or like your communication is, is whatever. I put it to you like this, like at the Wellness Center, they liked me because a lot of them were depressed or had bipolar but they didn't have the words to know how to express those feelings. Mm-hmm. They felt. But so when I said how, how I felt, they kind of thanked me for being kind of an, an interpreter for how they feel about this. Yeah. Like giving a vocabulary to like giving them a vocabulary. Yeah, sure. yeah. So, so, you know, and I, and I just think like your, your intelligence has nothing to do with how sad or happy you are. Mm-hmm. And I also, you know, feel like, you know, media, right. Media, television, movies, media, books have all been written and distributed by smarter people. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't think stupid people have the ability to ruin the world. It's all being ruined by smart people who are manipulating everybody else. Mm-hmm. So even if you feel like someone on TV is stupid, well, the person who wrote this thing is probably smart. Mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. and so like, so like they, they, they give this propaganda because they feel like, let's say that you're a smart person and you want people to feel your pain. You're going to write a script about how uh, being brilliant is torture. <laughs> and, 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 and like, because I'm so brilliant, I'm depressed. So you have all these shows about like the brilliant depressed person. Right. And it, 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 it is a huge, like, it is a burden to be so smart. It's like, no, actually you're not depressed because you're smart. You're depressed because you're depressed. And I feel like there's a lot of propaganda that's happening. You know, even like when someone, like when you have like a show where it's like the sad billionaire, 
oh, this person, he, he gets everything he wants and he's still, you're not sad because you're a billionaire. You're sad because you're depressed. Like it's, it's just like this, I think it's all, I mean, I don't want to get too off topic, but um, yeah, I definitely think intelligence is a privilege. Like I, I think, I feel like I can, I can get away with a lot more because I can process a lot more things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I probably don't agree on this, but you know, I don't know. No, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. Um, We've been talking for an hour and a half. <laughs> Just, you know, oh, I and know. it's like an hour show. Um, yeah, sorry. But yeah, like I feel like this is such a weird place to wrap it up but like you're I think you're so fascinating like I think oh thank you I, I think I think you are too I, I just I love you like I, I oh I love you too I, I would like to maybe I can interview you sometime I feel so weird that I'm talking about myself so much because like you have such a unique life like I have so many you know but but um you know no, but you I would like to, I would like to return the favor oh you're fascinating too thank you I well anytime that. you want I'm I'm down I would I would do anything with you like literally like if you wanted to talk on like Let's do a clubhouse. <laughs> sure, I would love to. Yeah, we should do that. I just think I think we should just be friends. You know? Yes. Like, not, okay. Yeah, oh so. my god, this is thank you. I'm like blushing. Like it just oh. got so hot in your room. <laughs> but yeah, like, so I, I just think you're like just the fucking coolest and I, so I, smart. Yeah, I feel the same about you, and I I like that even when we disagree, it's like not this contentious thing. Just two people in therapy, right? Yeah, just two people <laughs> disagreeing on some things. Yeah. Right. Um, I want I do wanna before we leave, I wanna like let people know where they can see you and I know like you you shout out your Venmo and stuff a lot. Yeah. Um my Venmo is Robin Tran04 and my PayPal What's is zero four by the way. And that's oh, in every ooh, all of is, your uh, usernames. Oh god, this is so embarrassing. So when I had AIM I was like Asian squall guy. Squall from Final Fantasy VIII. You were that? Yeah, I was like, and I was like, XX Asian shady. I wanted girls to think that I was cool. I, I like slim shady. And like, I had like, X, I hate this world because I wanted girls to think I was deep and profound. And then so one day I got it in my head. And I'm like, you know what, Robert? You are so, you are so negative. You should be a professional person. So you should be Robert Tran 04, which is the year that you graduate from high school. <laughs> right? And so like I want it to be all for and I guess and I guess never I never changed it. People are like, what is 04? I'm like, I graduated from high school in 2004. And he just kind of got grandfathered in, you know? And so when I went Robin Trans. Also, like, who is like, I want people to take me seriously. Let me put down the year I graduated. Not I know. College, not college. High school. High school. <laughs> Robert Tran 04. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to be professional, you know. <laughs> so Robin Trans Zero Four on Venmo <laughs> and on Facebook and on Instagram, Robin Trans Zero Four. I just thank you for letting me say that because people are going to remember now. Um, I'm Ro- by the way, I'm Robin Tran comedian on TikTok because for some reason they're like Robin Trans Zero Four. We're not going to allow that anymore. I'm like, what? why? Is it, was that graduate from high school? And all four, like, why did you guys take away Robin Trans? They made me change it to Robin Trans Comedian. TikTok is so weird. I saw you posting that they took down something you and I did together as a hate speech. Oh, because we said we couldn't turn, we couldn't tell the difference between white characters. Yeah, white characters. <laughs> I, I can't tell white people apart. And oh, the hate speech. You got that's cancel culture, by the way. If you want to know, cancel- <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. They, they also took another video of of mine down with yours where they they muted the sound about how. Um, my girlfriend and I like we want the other person to come first. I bleeped out "come" and I bleeped out like, "I didn't use oh, anything." That's what sex. like hate speech or no, no, that one was just, just like you're, you, you violated community standards or whatever. What? So that was a bummer. I, I was doing well. <laughs> I never know what they're going to take down. On yeah, TikTok. I mean that's but, all social media. 
Yeah. Like I never yeah, know I when I'm going to log into Instagram and my profile will be deleted. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, same here. Yeah. But okay. anyway, yeah. Rob is anyway. I, sorry. I'm keep repeating. <laughs> but yeah. Robin trans zero four on like everything except for TikTok, which is Robin trend comedian. By the way, my, my PayPal is Robert trans zero four at gmail.com because I'm too lazy to change my email. So like people are like, are you going to change your driver's license? I'm like, dude, I don't haven't changed my email. What do you think? I'm going to go to the DMV. Are you out of your fucking mind? So uh, but Robin Tran 04 on everything. Except for TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> and your PayPal is Robert Tran at Gmail. Zero four. Yeah. Oh, zero four. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to stop this recording now because I'm super scared that we're going to lose all of this. And it's still recording. Okay. So we're good. Okay. Okay.